Hello, and welcome once again to Hass Help Hotline. I'm Lisa. And I'm Jackie. And today we're going to be discussing the Great Leap Forward. So, uh, Jackie, <laughs> how much do you know about the Great Leap Forward? I know that it happened in China mm -hmm. and that it was similar to the Russian kind of five-year planning thing. Yep. And that is it. I know, cool. I know very little about the Russian, uh, the Chinese oh. Revolution. My bad. Yeah. All right, so this is good because I'm because of that. If I say things that I, I sometimes may assume knowledge on the part of the listener, so this will be good. Just like you shouldn't assume knowledge on the part of the reader, so you can ask clarifying questions as we go. So that's perfect. Okay, so um, are you aware of a man by the name of Mao Zedong? Uh, only because you mentioned him yesterday. Right. Okay. So he is the um, chairman of the Communist Party in China. And at this stage, he is also the president of China. And he gets a lot of his um, ideologies and ideas of how to create a better China from Stalin. Okay, so he's kind of like a crazy dictator, just like Stalin. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a bit like that. And so he does five-year plans. Okay. Just like Stalin. Just like Stalin, yeah. okay. So the first five-year plan was priority of heavy industry mm -hmm. um, with production quotas, just like in the Soviet Union. <laughs> and the first five-year plan really goes really well. So like steel output was something like fivefold and electricity out output was threefold and raw iron was, you know, threefold. It, like, so they really created, uh, the, they went, uh, uh, succeeded their quotas. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, um, and they started with collectivization, which is the, um, oh, what do they call it now? Now my, I can't use my words today. <laughs> um, the melding or meshing or the gathering of all the small farms and creating these larger farms. Mm, so like big state. Output. Yeah. 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 Um, in, in the first five-year plan, they were not as large as they will become in the second five-year plan but um they do like so they get what what are called cooperatives okay. where you get like um 100 to 300 families kind of thing so they got all of these little farms and then they merged them into giant farms yeah. with all of these families living on them to yeah. meet product goals or yeah. production goals yeah. yeah okay and so that's working really well so then now um he thought okay well let's Okay, so here's the thing. Mao is a bit like, uh, I don't know, the president of the United States where he just wants everybody to love him and he thinks that everybody should love them, love mm -hmm. him and, and whatnot. So um, he, but he decides, okay, we're going to have, um, we're, we're going to allow for a critique of what's going on in China. So he, he uh, starts what's called the Hundred Flowers Campaign Um and in that, he says, okay, um, if, tell me what you think. So he, he gets a bunch of people. Are they, uh, are they just like normal? Yeah. So like, or are they, well, or are they, or are they like, you know, the upper class? No, no. So he gets, he says to all of China. Oh, okay. Like in 50, 1957, he says, let a hundred flower. Oh, so, oh, sorry. The quote is, let a hundred flowers bloom, let a hundred schools of thought contend. So he's like going, let's discuss this. Because I think he, in his mind, thought um, 
that everybody's going to be like, yay, socialism, oh, communism. So he didn't want any negative well, criticism. But, just positive. Yeah, but he said, oh, no, I'll take whatever criticism I get, thinking he was okay. going to get mainly positive. Um, unfortunately, like especially a lot of the party um, or non-party intellectuals, like all the scholars and stuff like that, they had lots of criticism. Oh. Um, so, you know, the hundred flowers turned into the poisonous weeds. <laughs> and so um, just after five weeks of this campaign, they start weeding the garden, so to speak, um, with what's called the anti-rightist campaign. And all these people who are critiquing Mao end up uh, going to uh, forced labor camps and rehabilitation. And I'm using air quotes oh, for rehabilitation. Yes. Yeah, just, yes. Just like the... The Russian Revolution yes. got rid of all of the yes. people that disagreed yes. with the leader. That and makes sense. Cool. Um, unfortunately, these are a lot of the intellectuals. Mm -hmm. um, so then all of a sudden the saying better red than expert comes about, was, which, you know, is going to is going to do wonderful things for China, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so then after he does that, so this is why the Great Leap Forward, um, it's the second of the five year plans. He calls it now names it the Great Leap Forward, um, there's going to be less critique. <laughs> because, because all of the, the be, intelligent yeah. people have been uh, shoved Yes, in shoved in, in camps and, and whatnot. And then anybody who might still be kind of thinking, this isn't right, of course, they're seeing what's happening because they had, um, you know, what they called struggle sessions where people would be put on trial and accused of all these crimes and they'd have to either admit to them or get sent and like punished and beaten and whatnot. And it was mm -hmm. very public. Right. So, of course, anybody who's going, hmm, I'm not quite sure I like what's going on is not exactly going to be keen to speak out having seen. Yeah, they're going to be very, very yeah. quiet and keep their opinions yeah. to themselves. Yeah. So the second five-year plan um was basically uh continued the heavy industry agriculture so well agriculture during the first five-year plan did grow it wasn't growing as much as the population was growing as such so um they said we need to increase agricultural growth and what now so um, there wasn't enough food to feed the population well there was but with very little surplus Oh, okay. So afterwards. it didn't account for yeah, so more births like, and, and, yeah. and migration and stuff. So the the, um, and the main thing is, I guess, so like, I think, don't quote me on these, but I think like in the first five-year plan time period, agricultural output grew maybe 2.2 2. 2, mm -hmm. like, times what it was, but the uh, population growth was like 1.2. Oh, I see. So okay. while they still had some surplus, it wasn't. Enough to yeah. feed a growing population. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, China's quite large anyway. Yeah, <laughs> almost a billion people <laughs> yeah. by this point anyway. So um, the thing is, so um, Mao, it's funny because Stalin didn't like Mao. Stalin um, didn't really like anyone. No, though, Stalin did didn't like anyone. But he didn't like, like his children. No. <laughs> and Mao, yeah, but like Mao still was like upholding this Soviet um, model, mm -hmm. even though the Soviets, I mean, like, okay, so they were like, yay, China, our communist, you know, well, com comrades, neighbors neighbors, yeah, neighbors right. and whatnot. But they, you know, it's not like, that. I mean, like, so the Soviet Union did give money and did give some 
um, you know, they, they sent Soviet engineers and whatnot to help China with its industrialization. Mm. But they also then, so that's the other thing. At the end of the first five-year plan, the Chinese then had to pay back a lot of the Soviet loans and they weren't making as much money as they did to pay right. back. And so the Soviets weren't... Super helpful. Yeah, they weren't sympathetic yeah. to the communists in China. Was there a bit of like old, like European versus Asian? Yeah, I think kind so. And also, also like um, because China, the communists came out and they they had just kicked out. Like one of the reasons why there was this huge uproar was because they wanted to get rid of all Western influence mm-hmm. and they wanted to get rid of warlords and stuff like that. So as much as Mao was thinking, "Thank you, Soviets, for your um, help." Like later on, Khrushchev will say, "Hey, can we build this? Like, I think it's like a telephone line or something to, um, through China." And he's like, "Don't bring your Western, you know, uh, okay. don't bring your white people in here, kind of thing." So, yeah, it's that fine line, complicated relationship. Yeah, yeah. we sense. like you for your influence in our government, but we don't want anything else. Yeah, yeah, but don't tell us what to do. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, but I mean, having said that, in 1957, Sputnik was launched. Mm -hmm. So, of course, everybody's going, yay, commies are better because we got into space first. Mao actually, um, when he heard about it, said, ha, the U.S. hasn't even launched a potato, (laughs) which is kind of funny. And so after um, Sputnik, Nikita Khrushchev had said in 15 years, the Soviet Union was going to overtake the United States in all these industrial areas and whatnot. So then um, Mao, when he addressed this conference of communist parties, um, said that the East winds prevail over the West. And he actually declared that Britain, uh, sorry, not Britain, China would suppress Britain's output. Like he actually said, right, that's it. Under this new five-year plan, we will supersede Great Britain and try to overtake the United States. I mean, he wasn't very, he wasn't quite wrong about Britain, but no, I yeah. mean, the US, he, obviously. Yeah. Um, and the fact US of the matter is, economy. he's there saying, yes, we need the socialist development, we need to overtake Britain and whatnot. How? He never actually clarified. So he made big, broad statements. Yes. Couldn't prove them with yeah. evidence. Couldn't, could, had no kind of, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it. So, so he's like the ideas man, and yeah. other people have to figure out how to get those goals achieved. Yes. Right. Okay. Sounds like a classic dictator. Then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Um, so to seek truth about how to do this, Mal went out into the countryside, mm-hmm. um, as you do, and of course he was greeted with love and affection and, you know, adoring crowds and everything like that because... He, he's the he's di- a dictator, yep. and that's what people do. Yes, but he genuinely believed this was how all of China felt. Hmm. Yeah, that is the, Jackie just gave a face, and yes, that's, <laughs> that's you, can't, you can't say that on the podcast. Yes, but, but um, no, um, and so he thought, oh, I'm in touch with the people, and he went um, to like during the first five year plan, there were a lot of projects to create um, better irrigation, water conservation. So building canals, irrigation ditches, reservoirs, and all that kind of stuff. That and sound terrible. That's no. Like genuinely, like, improving the well-being yeah. of your citizens. Exactly. Okay. And their targets had actually been super – like, they'd gone past their targets. Mm. And the thing was, most of these um, 
projects were done by hand. Like they didn't have big bulldozers and machinery and stuff like that. So this was all done with like the entire village coming together and, and doing these engineering feats. And so Mao kind of went, this, this is how we're going to succeed because it doesn't matter if we have the machinery because we have the people. Mm. And so human endeavor is going to triumph and we're going to be able to do all these things. In fact, people were encouraged to use hand tools rather than machines because using one's hands was seen as virtuous. Right. So it became like a sense of identity. Yeah. We're not going to use machines. We're all going to. And and the other thing is Mao also kind of looked out at the peasants and went, okay, yep, farmers, they're great. But like they have all this time, like they seed and then they harvest. But what about in between? Like they're going to have time to be doing all these other things. That makes sense. So he he got his workforce together and he sent them. Yeah. That's cool. And, And in a way it was good because when he did this, because a whole bunch of people had been migrating to the cities, you know, the push pull thing um and so he was actually able to kind of push them back into the rural areas Mm. for these kind of uh projects um that's clever because that then like reduces the impact of like poverty in cities and when people are poor and they can't afford to feed their families they get angry and then yeah so things happen so far sounds good doesn't it yeah it sounds kind of pleasant yeah um (laughs) It's it's quite interesting, like, how much Mao believed in the people. So he actually said, and I quote, China's 6 million, sorry, 600, 600 million people have two remarkable peculiarities. They are, first of all, poor, and secondly, blank. They, that might seem a bad thing, but it is really a good thing. Poor people want change, want to do things, want revolution. A clean sheet of paper has no blotches, and so the newest and most beautiful pictures can be painted on it. So, so poor people are, wait, say that again. So poor people want to change, want to do things, want Mm -hmm. revolution. So he's saying it's good that they're poor because they want to be able to feed their families and they're willing to do whatever they can do. And a clean sheet of paper has no blotches. So the newest and most beautiful pictures can be painted on it. I think that's kind of saying, yeah, we can brainwash them however we want. Yeah. Yeah. You can give them whatever information you want to give them and they are going to swallow it very easily yes and i guess they weren't very well educated no no i mean like because like and you're looking at 80 percent. 80 percent of the population is peasants yeah out right. in the rural areas so yeah so yeah they they were blank campuses yeah you could, yeah you yeah could absolutely you wanted and they would do it yeah how interesting <laughs> so um Mao started talking about an economy that would walk on two legs, so industry and agriculture, basically. Okay. Um, so heavy industry would can can keep going. They'd still get all the capital. They'd still get all the investment and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But rural areas would then do more small-scale industry, um, and they could generate their own capital through that. So um, the peasants, again, whose labor was untapped because apart from – planting and harvesting what were they really doing Mm -hmm. so that's where they said okay the rural areas that's where we're going to focus on this lighter industry and crafts and so forth so um because there have been rural cooperatives who had made hand tools fertilizers cloth clothing all that kind of stuff created industry in those yeah yeah um and so he kind of went well these guys have the local know-how 
So let's go. Kind of seems really clever. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, manufacturing, agriculture, two industries that the peasantry mm. will act, are actively involved in. So yeah. keep them busy. Yeah. Which means that there's this likely, you know, room for revolutionary thought. Yeah, yeah. It's clever. Yeah. And um, so, and also that meant that, like, instead of pumping more funding into agriculture, they can still keep the funding quite low mm. and focus on the heavy industry and whatnot. Right. Um, and as I said before, the unemployment would ease because people in the cities were encouraged to go back to the countryside. Um, they thought there was going to be a technical revolution. Uh, this, this, this is where I kind of go, Meh, because remember, they had that better read than expert thing. So they yeah. don't have a lot of educators and whatnot because they're all in the labor camps and so forth. Um, and so they thought that by just doing learning by doing oh dear <laughs> yes so um if the peasants just if they say okay this is what you need to do and they just kind of try it trial and error kind of thing that they will learn basic scientific knowledge and skills just by learning wait so like by doing so a bunch of peasants were told build a bridge yes here's a shovel off yes. you go yes and they had to figure out how yes. to create this build, bridge using very basic yes tools because they will learn by doing that does i mean they will eventually yes yeah i mean quite dangerous yes i mean there's a lot of physics and stuff involved with yes building large scale infrastructure yes but you know i mean because i guess he kind of looked at well we did it with the canals and the irrigation and stuff like that that makes sense but then i mean but they they had like knowledgeable people to help them do it yes so yeah Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, still kind of sounds fairly okay. Yeah. Like, it doesn't sound like... No, it doesn't sound like tragic. Yeah. It sounds like a a nice kind of idea plan. Yeah. When's the the bad stuff going to happen? Well. (laughs) (laughs) Well. What's next? So, in 1958, in May, the Great Leap Forward is announced. Mm -hmm. There's no real details to it. It's just kind of this... We need to let the people, Mao said, we need to let the people explode. So okay. just let them at it. Um, production targets were raised from the first five-year plan. Mm-hmm. And um, it was proclaimed that everyone needed to, quote, go all out, aim high, and achieve greater, faster, better, and more economical results in the building of socialism. So the government released, so Mao released a list of goals. Yes. Like, like the that, targets. Like the tar- Yeah, yeah. Have have achieved this tick. Yes. And said, peasants. Off you go. Go do it. Yes. With no further explanation, no, do they get tools? No. No. Okay. No, they had tools. Oh, they had tools. Yeah, well, basic kind of. Tools. Yeah, yeah. No machines, just no. basic tools. Well, so. Yep. <laughs> Oops, that's the bell. <laughs> that's a bell. <laughs> All right, off you get now. Um, so um, the thing is, so, I mean, obviously, industry, heavy industry, like d- factories are still going to get machinery. Okay. But in the out but in the countryside. In the, in the rural kind of area. Yeah, no. No machinery. Right. No. Um Sounds and yeah. So then they made these people's communes. So all of a sudden, um, the collectivization's happening at, but instead of having, you know, like two hundred families, now we're looking at um two thousand families. Oh. Yeah. So um the like Basically, they became agricultural cooperatives where yeah. all the communes pulled everything together. This is interesting because, like, during the, like, one of the things is 
like China up until like the 1920s was a feudal system. So there were landlords and the peasants never actually owned the land and whatnot. And so then during the um, 1911 revolution and whatnot, where like they started to get rid of the warlords and that sort of thing, the peasants were getting their land back. But now all of a sudden with these big collect co cooperatives or communes, all the land's back in well, the hands of in, the state. In communist states. Yeah, yeah. The government owns everything, right? Yeah. So... Um, and so, but it, it used to be even on the communes, the farmers worked the land, but then they got a lot of the food and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, everything's going to the state. Um, you're looking at like most of the cooperatives average 5,000 households. So you're oh looking at like 100,000 people. Yeah. Okay. And, and they would have been like practically what living on top of yeah. each other and stuff. So yeah. very close quarters. Yeah. So. Everything becomes collective property, like the land, collective property, um, tools, collective property, livestock, collective property. Right. Um, so rather than money, they were given what were called work points, and they could trade in those points for um, everyday items and stuff like that. Right. Okay. Yeah. And it's very <laughs> military, like it's along military lines. So you have like within the commune, you have like brigades that would have work troops that would go out into the fields and, and right. that sort of thing. So it's okay. very military. Um, Which makes sense because that would control yeah. the yeah. all of the issues that happen when you force people to live together. Yeah. And so because people are living together, the nuclear family pretty much is done. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's an interesting, like, because family in China is such an important part. Like, you know, like the, the parents live with the oldest yeah, son. Yeah, very close and, yeah. yeah. So it, it completely tears apart the family fabric mm. at the time. Um, the other thing is then you have communal kitchens and eating halls and stuff like that. So like dinner's not just, you know, family dinner was all another very important thing and you don't have that. All of a sudden you're expected to eat with yeah. you know, hundreds of other people. Yeah. And um, the elderly weren't looked at. So the elderly were actually placed in what they called happiness homes. Oh. Yes. That sounds pleasant. Yes. And the children were put into daycare centers and things like that. So that their parents could work Yes, yeah, so that their parents could work full right. time and everything like that. Um, and so Mao was like, these communes are going to bring an end to the three great differences. Um, so the difference between city and country, mm -hmm. the difference between worker and peasant, and the difference between mantle and manual labor. So he's really breaking down social hierarchies yeah. and structures. Yeah, because now schooling, defense, farming, welfare, small industry, that's all part of like the commune. Mm -hmm. they, that's their thing. So the people were really forced, up, forced to give up their sense of identity. Yes. And they became... Well, what did they become? Well, just, <laughs> just, just members of the commune. Yeah, com or, yeah, or... commune. And so, yeah, right. um, I mean, a lot of people do say that um, the CCP did that to try to make slave driving more efficient. And there's a lot of truth to that. But having yeah. said that, the people were really enthusiastic to begin with. They're like, "Yay, communism! Let's let's support the." Well, I guess they want to change. Yeah, and, yeah. and they got change. Yeah, yeah, they got change. All right, big change. Um, but the other thing that, along with, so obviously, they have a lot of time on their hands because. Of, so he said, "Okay, 
backyard steel production. We need more steel. So everybody, all these farmers and whatnot, you're going to make these backyard furnaces and you're going to create your own steel. Because in a lot of the rural areas, they did have small scale steel production to make right. farming tools and things like that. Because the tool, the steel doesn't have to be as, um, you know, high grade. Um, and so, but the thing is, so Mao actually says when he, when they first say, oh, backyard steel, he actually said, um, if these backyard steel furnaces can really produce so much steel, why do foreigners build such gigantic steel mills? Are foreigners really so stupid? But then he went onto this, into a province and, you know, he's given a tour of the backyard steel and they show him the product. And Mel has no idea about steel. So he's, he's like, he's a politician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. like, oh, that looks good enough. So he goes, oh, yeah, we'll do that. Oh, dear. Yes. Um, so <laughs> people, okay, so several things like, so. Obviously, steel furnaces need a lot of heat and whatnot. So, like, we're looking at huge deforestation because of people chopping down trees right. for fuel and whatnot. Okay. The other thing is any any and everything that could be melted down for steel was taken. So, <sighs> like, literally, like, farming tools, walks for cooking, doornobs, bicycles, wagon wheels, you name it, they would take it and oh melt goodness. it down. So... So Mao, so far, Mao's given them a list of goals. Yes. Like, he's, here's the targets you need to meet. Yep. Yeah. Send the people off to meet those targets with basic tools. Yes. And then he said... Make more pushed, steel. Make yep. more steel. Uh, you must give me all of the tools, all of the, all of the little tools. <laughs> and make steel. I have, steel have, I have yes. you to have uh, to make steel with. Yes. Uh, but you still have to meet all of these goals. Yes. Okay. But they have no tools now to meet those goals. Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> good, um, plan. good plan. So, but okay, at this stage, you have your communal kitchens. Okay. Um, and they'd have entertainers who would like sing and dance for them while they were eating and stuff like that. Okay. And working the furnaces. So they were stressed, working hard, but... They had entertainment. They still had entertainment. And okay. in these communal kitchens, they were um, allowed to eat as much as they wanted. Okay. So they weren't starved. There was food. Well, okay. Well, here's you said the thing. as much as they wanted. Yes, as much as they wanted, but that meant that they were consuming the food reserves that they had yet to replenish. Ah, uh, okay. Yes. So they weren't actually meeting any of the goals. They weren't. They weren't getting anywhere. Well, at this point, no. And especially since so many more people were were taken out of the farming community to make steel, they weren't producing as much food because they There's were all less farmers. Yeah. Um, and then the iron that they used um, was crap. It was, as somebody put, quote, like cattle droppings. Yes. So it wasn't even very good steel. No, it's pig iron. And a lot of the furnaces tended to wash away in the rain. Because they were made out of clay, right? Yeah. yeah. And that okay. sort of thing. Because they were made in the backyards. Yes. Okay. So to to add to that... Um, there was a Soviet agronomist by the name of Lysenko who said, oh, look, if you believe that, like, you can grow more food, you will be able to. Because, like, he said it has nothing to do with the plants themselves. It has to do with what we can do. So, for example, um, if you had, like, cotton 
which mm -hmm. has to be grown in like a very hot, humid climate and whatnot. But if you took those seeds and you put them in a freezer for like six months, then they'd be used to be growing in a cold environment. So then you could plant them in the cold ground and they grow. That oh was goodness. his, yes. Had, had he ever worked on a farm before? Obviously not. No. No. So right. um, he, but he's Soviet. Oh, yeah, so he might, yeah, he so he knows everything. Right, yeah. Yeah. So two things that he said was you need to plant your crops closer together. Oh dear. Yes. Yeah. Because um, then you can fit more into a lot. Well, right? not only that, but if you plant the same type of plant right next to each other, because they're the same plant, they're not going to compete with each other for the soil. Oh dear. Yes. And then he also said you need to deep plow, and I'm not talking like. 60 centimeters, I'm talking like three meters, like literally dig up the entire soil and then churn it all together. So basically what happened was all the crappy soil at the bottom got churned to the top mm. and there was no rich topsoil anymore. Right. Yes. Okay. So. He does not sound like an agriculture. No, but he's a quote expert, unquote. Chinese farmers kind of were like, you're serious, right? But because of their experience with the 100 Flowers campaign and everything like that, they're not exactly going to speak out against it and therefore... Okay, smile and wave. They and, did as they yes. were told. Right. At the same time, they decided um, to get rid of the four pests. So it was flies, mosquitoes, rats, and sparrows, which seems, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. How, how do you get rid of all of those Well, pests? They, <laughs> they had all sorts of traps and everything like that. Right. Unfortunately, they did too well with the sparrows. And so crop damage from sparrows was reduced. But, of course, sparrows eat locusts and other insects which were then given free run of the plant, planted fields. And so it, it ended up that the Chinese government actually then asked the Soviet Union to send them 200,000 sparrows. Far out. So yeah. someone didn't do their geography no. work and doesn't understand ecosystems. Yeah. So then right. <laughs> um, sparrows were replaced by bedbugs as the number four pest. But okay. not before. So you have all that. Um, <laughs> And of course, people want to please Mao. Yes. So they're not making as much food as they want, as they should, but they're not going to tell him that. So they over exaggerate the success of their harvests. Oh dear. Yes. So falsified documents. Yes. So one acre, <laughs> one acre, one acre of a field would usually produce maybe a ton, maybe a little bit more than a ton of like rice or grain or whatever. Yeah. And they were announcing that their one acre of fields had produced like five tons of grain. So then the commune over would be like, "Holy crap! No, no, no! Ours produced six tons of you know." Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, so. So Mao was getting all of this information saying that his plan was working yes. when in fact it wasn't. Yes. And the government was using all that, quote, surplus, unquote, grain to sell, to make money for industry. Right. But because Mao thought they had so much more, he was actually giving food for free, shipments of free grain to his allies like Albania, North Vietnam, and North Korea. Right. This is a disaster. In the meantime, the peasants have no food because they've eaten, because of the people's communes, being able to eat all you want, they've already eaten their surplus, and now because they're saying we have X amount, and the government's going, great, we'll take 50% of it, so right, 50% of whatever they had is going to leave them with next to nothing. Okay, so that. Something's about to crash, right? Yes. Okay. So. Because <laughs> um, that sounds bad. Well, it's, 
it doesn't sound terrible just yet, but it's something's going to happen. Yes. So then um, in 1958, a plenum, which is basically a big gathering of all the communists in a place called Wuhan, um, the um, they kind of said, hey, we think that maybe some of these numbers may be a bit different. So they went, oh, okay, well, we'll, we'll reduce the the quota uh, from 450 million tons to 370 million tons, which was still not um, real. Well, it was quote realistic with the numbers that they were getting. So but based on the lies. Based on the lies, yeah. But, but in reality, reality they had only produced maybe 170 million right. tons. So yeah. But at the same time, Mao said, look, I'm stepping down from the presidency. I'm just going to be, but That's he's not been demoted. Group. He's still the party chairman. Basically, he was like, I want to do more with, like, telling the party what to do without the specifics. Okay. So he didn't want to do the paperwork, but he still yeah, was the boss. Yeah. Right. So a guy by the name of Li Xiaoqi becomes the the new president. And they go on these fact-finding missions. And there was a guy. So Mao went to Manchuria to see how the steel plants operated. Um, and he was really happy with that. Uh, then he visited his old village and everybody's greeting him mm -hmm. and everything. So he thinks everything's happy. At the same time, one of an, another general goes to his hometown where he sees the reality. He sees people starving. He sees people, you know, um, right. like old people in happiness homes, not so happy and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So his name was Peng. So he then goes to an, the next plenum in July of 1959 in Lushan. And he says, look. This is what's happening. Yeah. And he expresses concern for what's happening. So, of course, Mao um, says, no, um, there's wings of exaggeration brought about by petty bourgeois fanaticism. You know, he's, he, he says, oh, no. Um, and so he basically said um, that... Um, Peng's full of crap. Right. Um, so did Peng become another weed that needs yeah, to be Yeah, pretty much. Oh, poor Peng. I know. Um, so he actually says at one stage, he said, um, oh, what is this? Uh, but he does kind of, it's, it's interesting because at the same time, he's like going, oh, this is really unfair, Peng. He kind of takes responsibility for and then exonerates himself for the failures because he actually says, everybody has shortcomings. Even Confucius made mistakes. So did Marx. I've seen Lenin's manuscripts, which are filled with changes. He too made mistakes. I devoted myself mainly to revolution. I am absolutely no good at construction and I don't understand industrial planning. I should take <laughs> primary responsibility for 1958 and 1959, it is I who am to blame. But by taking primary responsibility, he also puts it back on everybody else because he says, I do not claim to have invented the people's communes only to have proposed them. And then he says, wow. who wants to take responsibility? He actually says, you must all analyze your responsibility. If you have to shit, shit. If you have to fart, fart. It will make you feel much better. Clever. Yes. So he's acknowledged his blame. He, he he had a role. Yes. But then he's put all of the blame back on everybody. Everyone. Yes. That's clever. And is anybody else going to speak up and say anything about me? And do you think people will? No. No. Because there's already been a bunch of people chucking, 
in yeah. gulags. Is that, is that what they call oh, No, the uh, labor camps. Labor camps. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Same, yeah. same, but yeah. different. Um, so on August 16th of that year, 1959, Peng is announced as an anti-party element. And chucked in a labor camp? Uh, well, no, yeah, he's chucked in a labor camp in the new anti-rightist campaign, which was carried out to punish any other little pangs. Okay. So anybody who was on his side is... Right. All of his friends and family. Yes. And so one communist official uh, recalls, after Lu Shen, the whole party shut up. We were afraid to speak out. It stifled democracy. People didn't tell Mao their honest opinions. They were afraid. Okay. Sounding way more like a dictatorship now. Yes. And so after that, the people's communes were still going. He said, no, you still have to do the farming practices. Um, and then there's some poor weather that happens and it ends up being a famine because there's flood, droughts, locust plagues between 1959 and 1960. And so there are, um, quote, three bad years. Right, because and that they're really bad because the peasants have already yes. eaten their surplus. They've food. already eaten their surplus. They're not actually getting any surplus because they've been lying about how much mm-hmm. they've been making. Um, they're given these horrible farming techniques, so they're not making as much food anyway. Then with the, um, you know, the droughts and the floods and everything right. like that, um, a conservative estimate is thirty million people died of starvation. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that is a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. All, all because they got a lot of bad advice yes. from people who were not farmers yes. or not capable of Correct. understanding how steel works. Yes. So people right. were eating sawdust, grass, bark. Um, there was one guy who was in a labor camp who then saw a whole bunch of other people come to the labor camp. And he said, uh, one day a group of people came into our camp. They were all peasants. So I said to one, what are you in for? He says, for ruin- ruining public property. I said, what did you do? He said, I ate bark off trees. Wow. And they were chucked in labor camps for that. Yep. Crazy. Um, cannibalism. I was going to ask if there was yeah. cannibalism because that's pretty popular in um Yeah. In really poor yeah. countries like that, especially if you can see everyone dying. Yeah. yeah. So people would cut the flesh from dead bodies. Some people mm. would try to eat their neighbor's kids so they wouldn't have to eat theirs. Okay, how's, how bad is this? Thousands of kids were abandoned, and oftentimes they were left in holes by the side of the road, like deep enough the kids couldn't get out, but shallow enough that somebody could see them and hopefully take them and adopt them. Or eat them. Or eat them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so, oh, so what a terrible end. Yeah, I know. To a plan that kind of didn't sound too but bad then to start off Mao, with. Mao did show sympathy with those who are starving because he became a vegetarian. Because he said, everyone is starving. I can't eat meat. Okay. Yeah. But he still ate. Yes. Did he adopt any children? Mm, probably not. <laughs> okay. did, did he give any of his food to the poor? Probably, probably not. not. No. Okay. Well, so, but but guy. as you get, so that is the culmination of the Great Leap Forward, in which Mao says, "Yeah, maybe I did stuff, but not really." And yeah. So, okay. wh- how do you think? How are you feeling about the Great Leap Forward at this stage? <laughs> well, they didn't really leap anywhere, no. did they? Or or maybe maybe Mao grew a little bit as a person. Is that the leap? I guess because he had, he admitted his failings. Kind of. He yeah. Did yeah. He did. He did pretty like yeah epic writers though. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting because like how does that fare with what you know about Russia? 
Same same. Well, same, same. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, both five-year plans ended in disaster. Mm. They ended in people starving. Mm. They both ended in a bit of cannibalism. Yeah. Um, and they both ended in one person becoming a significant totalitarian leader. Yeah. Or a just very awful bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, now now you know all about the Great Leap. Well, not all about the Great Leap, but hopefully you I've know more about it. I've got a good overview. Yeah. And so thank you once again for joining us on this Yeah, hopefully you podcast. found it useful. I yes. thought it was useful. Cool. I learned some things. Excellent. That's what we want to do. We want to just keep you learning. All right, everybody take care. Until next time. Okay, bye. Bye.